For those of you who don't know, again, I'm Mike Osborne, the executive pastor here at the church. And among my duties as executive pastor is to handle administrative items and issues. And so that's part of why Randy wanted me up here today. We have some administrative duties we want to take care of, and we're going to be doing it here at the Colonial Heights campus, out at our Midlothian campus. And those of you that are listening by way of our online campus, we encourage you to pay close attention so you'll know what to do when we're able to do it with y'all. So what we're going to do this morning, in just a moment, I'm going to have you all line up here in a row, line off of the stage, and I'm going to come down, and as you come by, I am going to tattoo you with a mark. Now, I know you'll be glad to do it because you're going to be showing your allegiance to worshiping the Antichrist as God. And I know you want to do that, so it shouldn't be any problem for you, but just to give you some added incentive, if you do come and receive the mark, you'll be able to go on buying and selling and doing all the things you do now. But if you choose not to do the mark, then your whole ability to uh, be involved in commerce will be cut off. You won't be able to buy anything or sell anything. But again, I know that's not a problem because you're going to want to do this. But as one other added incentive, if you don't do it, we're going to behead you. Now, we listen to that, and we laugh a little bit, and we think, that ah, boy, that's ridiculous sounding. And obviously, that's not what we're doing here today. But you know, listen to me carefully. There is going to come a time when that very thing happens. There is going to come a time when everybody on the face of the earth at that moment is going to have to make a choice. And it's not a choice of multiple things. You're not going to get to choose you know, uh, from a checklist out there. It's going to be two choices. And it's two choices about who you pledge your loyalty to. And so you're not going to be able to choose Buddha, and you're not going to be able to choose Muhammad and his version of Allah. You're not going to be able to choose to worship the, uh, the stars or the trees or the mountains or the whales. There's going to be two choices about who you choose to worship. What are those two choices? Well, let's turn in Revelation to chapter 13, and we're going to pick up reading in verse 11. Revelation chapter 13, verse 11. And John says, Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb. But it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and compels the earth and those who live on it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. It also performs great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in front of people. It deceives those who live on the earth because of the signs that it is permitted to perform in the presence of the beast telling those who live on the earth to make an image of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. It was permitted to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast could both speak and cause whoever would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And it makes everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, the beast's name, or the number of its name. And this calls for wisdom. 
Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, because it is the number of a person. Its number is 666. Let's bow our heads in prayer for a moment. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity we have had over the past weeks and months, Lord, to study your word in the book of Revelation. Father, to look ahead to that which is to come, but also, Lord, to understand what it means for us in the here and now. And so, Father, we ask that today you do the same. Speak to our hearts. Show us what we need to get and take away from your scripture today. What your message is for us on this day, in this place. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So now we're introduced to uh, another personality in this saga that's going to take place out in the future. We're introduced to the false prophet. But before we get to him, I want you to understand something about these prophetic events. So even though a prophetic event is an event out in the future, it casts a shadow back into the present. It's going to happen at a specific moment and place in time But even though it's out there, it has an impact. It touches our lives by way of that shadow. It brings to us some understanding, some foreshadowing of what is to take place. And so that's what we see as we're looking out into the future, out into the middle of the the tribulation. And looking at these events that are going to take place, it helps us to understand some of what's happening and going on in our lives. So last week, Rico introduced us to the Antichrist, and he shared a great message on who the Antichrist is and what his purpose is and what he's going to be doing. And he reminded us in that that the Antichrist and the false prophet are a part of the fulfillment of Satan's unholy trinity. The Antichrist is the counterfeit, of course, of Jesus Christ. And the false prophet is the counterfeit of the Holy Spirit. And what they represent is Satan's plans, Satan's strategy, Satan's approach. And it's going to be twofold, but they're going to merge together for the purpose of trying to carry out his purpose and his plan. You see, the Antichrist is the political element of what's taking place. He is that smooth-talking politician who's going to win over the people in the secular realm. The false prophet is the religious element. But as I said, they merge together. In fact, David Jeremiah has said, listen to this, whenever you have a vacuum of true religion, political power will marry itself to false religion to give itself a mark of acceptability. When there is a void or a vacuum of true religion, political power will marry itself to false religion because that's where it finds acceptability. Now, it is true in the middle of the tribulation, but it is true in our time, and it has been true throughout history. And so we see that is Satan's plan. He's bringing that together and working that together. So what do we see and find out about the false prophets? in these verses? Well, first off, we find his duty, his purpose for being here. Look at verse 12 of chapter 13. He says, he compels the earth and those who live on it to worship the first beast. 
What's his duty? He causes men to worship the beast of the sea or the Antichrist. Now remember, he's the leader of a worldwide movement, this false prophet. And so he is pointing everybody's attention to the Antichrist and getting them to worship him. And how does he do it? He uses the same scheme, the same strategy that he has used throughout history. It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden when he told Eve, oh yeah, if you eat of the fruit of this tree, it's going to be great for you and surely you will not die. See, the scheme he uses is this. He tells people what they want to hear rather than what they need to hear. And folks, there are all of those around us today, from politicians to teachers to scientists to preachers, who are busy telling us what we want to hear, trying to please us rather than telling us what we need to hear. And so Satan is going to get people to worship the Antichrist. The second thing we see is his deeds. Uh, Look at verse 13. It says, It also performs great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in front of the people. So he'll do great miracles. It says, even calling down fire. And so it's going to seem that he has this supreme power because of these miracles and these things that he's able to do. But in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul tells us that God allowed him to do these things. He allowed him to be able to deceive the people because these were people who had rejected the truth of the gospel of how to be saved. And so he is able to do this, not of any great supreme power, but only at the fact that God allows that in this time. And we see his deception. So not only his duty and his deeds, but we see his deception in verse 15. It says, he was permitted to give breath to the image of the beast. Now when you study the language in this sentence, in this passage, it makes you understand that what we're talking about here is an illusion. He didn't actually give breath to this lifeless image, but he was able to fool people. He was able to deceive them in what he was doing. And so that's how he works in the midst of deception. Remember, Satan is all about deception. That's what he's done from the beginning of time and what he'll do to the end of this age. He tries to deceive us. And then finally, we see his demands. Look at verses 16 and 17. He makes everyone to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, the beast's name, or the number of his name. So he is going to require people to make a choice about this mark of the beast. And everyone is going to have to make a choice. You know, I said it's only going to be two choices. It's going to be where is your loyalty? Is your loyalty going to be to God? Or is your loyalty going to be to Satan? Is your loyalty going to be to Jesus Christ in this case or to the Antichrist? Remember I said you don't get a choice of it being Buddha. You don't get a choice of it being some of the nature things that people want to worship. You don't even get a choice of atheism. It's one or the other, and that's what takes place here. And so that's the task. That's what 
the false prophet is all about. We see his duty, his deeds, his deception, and his demands. But the other thing, obviously, that jumps up out of this passage to us is this whole thing of the mark. That's what really gets our attention, isn't it? You know, Randy said back when we were still out on the back lot here doing services together, he said, when you do a search, a Google search for the rapture, you find over 350,000 pages about the rapture. If you do a search of 666, you want to guess how many pages you find? Over 1.6 million. 1.6 million. Think there's some interest in this whole thing about the mark of the beast in 666? In fact, I think it's interesting. 666 has an impact on people, whether they're believers or not, whether they're churchgoers or not. Several weeks ago, I took Sue's car in to get the oil changed. And, and the place I take it now in COVID times, you don't get out of your car. You just drive in, pull in, and you sit in your car while they service it. But he has to come over and get the mileage, you know, to put down on everything. So he comes over and he puts his hands on the door beside me. He asks, he says, what's your mileage today, sir? Here's what my mileage was. 66,600. On the dot, when I pulled in a thing, it tripped to 66,600. Soon as I said 66,600, he, whoa. And you can tell, he didn't even want to come back and service my car. And you see it in the grocery store. Have you ever been to a grocery store and had the cashier ring up and it comes out to 666 and you'll see her step away from her cash register? And I've actually seen customers sometimes, give me that pack of chewing gum too. Add something to it to get it away from 666. 666 catches our attention in all of this even if we don't understand what it all means, but it, it catches our attention. And I think the reason it catches our attention is that so many people are afraid that they're going to get it by accident. And we see that a lot in this day and time when they're talking about different kinds of implants and different things. Well, you know, if I do that, is that going to turn out to be the mark of the beast? Let me share a couple of things with you to put your mind at ease. First, as we read this, when all of this is coming into play here, where are we? In the midst of the tribulation. Folks, where's the church in the midst of the tribulation? We're gone. We are raptured out at the beginning. And so we're not here at this point in time. So that should make you feel a little better. And then the second thing is nobody, even those that are still here on earth during that time, nobody's going to get it by accident. It comes about by a choice you make about who you're going to worship. So no one will get it by accident. So that should put some of your minds at ease a little bit. But if we're trying to understand and grasp what this all is and how it works, probably the best place to try to figure out what Scripture's talking about is to look at Scripture. Would you agree? So let's look in Revelation, because there are eight places in Revelation, six different passages, but eight times, uh, in Revelation, that it talks about the mark. And the first one is in our passage today. We see it there in verses 16 and 17. He says, It makes everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand and on his forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, 
the beast's name or the number on his name. So the first thing we see about the mark is at this point in time, it is going to be required for you to make a choice about whether you're going to take the mark or you're not going to take the mark. Second thing we see is that if you choose to not take the mark, you're not going to be able to buy or to sell. That's a pretty concerning thought for us in our consumer-oriented society, the fact that we can't buy or sell. But again, we're not going to be there, church. If you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're not going to be there. And the third thing we see in this is that the mark is going to be the beast's name or the number of his name. Now, the second passage that we have with this is down in chapter 14. Look at chapter 14, verses starting in verse 9. It says, And another, a third angel, followed them and spoke with a loud voice. If any man worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand. Now listen to verse 10. Because I'm going to tell you, as I've been rereading this passage this week, getting ready for today, this verse just really began to get heavy on my heart for those during that time. It says, He will also drink the wine of God's wrath, which is poured full strength into the cup of his anger. The drink of God's wrath poured full strength, and not just into any cup, into the cup of his anger. Does that sound as bad to you as it does to me? And yet there will be those who choose it. He will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the sight of the holy angels and in the sight of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment will go up forever and ever. There is no rest, day or night, for those who worship the beast and its image or anyone who receives the mark of its name. So we've said those that will not receive the mark, that refuse the mark, they're not going to be able to buy or sell. But now we see some things with those who do receive the mark. One, they're going to receive God's wrath poured out full strength. They're going to be tormented day and night. And there's going to be no rest. You see, they may be able to buy and sell, but they're not going to be able to enjoy anything. They're not going to have any satisfaction in this. Now let's drop down into chapter 15, verse 2. John said, I also saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire. And those who had won the victory over the beast, its image and the number of its name, were standing on the sea of glass with harps from God. There's going to be a reward for those who choose God. A reward for those who choose not to take the mark of the beast. Down into chapter 16, verse 2. It says, the first went and poured out his bowl on the earth. And every severely painful sore broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped the the image. So those who accepted the mark and who worshipped the beast says they're going to receive sores all over their body. Then turn over to chapter 19 and verse 20. It says, but the beast was taken prisoner. And along with it, the false prophet who had performed the signs in its presence. He deceived those who accepted the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image with these signs. Both of them were thrown alive 
into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. So see a couple of things in that. One, it acknowledges he is deceiving those who accept the mark. And then the second thing is he's going to be thrown ultimately into the lake of fire. And then last one, chapter 20, verse 4. It says, Then I saw thrones and people seated on them who were given authority to judge. I also saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God who had not worshipped the beast or his image and who had not accepted the mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Now there's great news in that. We see them being rewarded. But there's also something else in that. They were beheaded. So understand, they're going to see, receive reward in the future sometime. But in their present, in their time, they're going to be beheaded. So that tells us a lot about the mark and what's happening with those who are either taking the mark or, or refusing to take the mark. But we still really haven't answered what the mark is. And there are folks who have spent inordinate amount of time trying to figure it out and giving you reasons why they figured it out. I mean, you can take uh, Demetria, which is kind of numerology uh, that's using particularly the Hebrew language. And there are those who say, well, you take that and you take Caesar Nero and you add an end to his name, which that kind of sounds made up there. Then you add some extra to it. But actually, that was something that was done in that day and time. Anyway, you do that and you come out with 666. So the Antichrist was Caesar Nero. What's one problem with that? Caesar Nero's dead and gone. Okay, so that wasn't... There, there are some who go, well, you know, if you take the Hebrew language and WWW, that, that comes out as 666 in the Hebrew language. So you knew that was something evil about the internet, didn't you? When Ronald Reagan was president, there were those who said he was the Antichrist. You know why? Not his political views, no. We, we like them. But what was it? Ronald, Wilson, Reagan. How many letters in Ronald? Six. How many letters in Wilson? Six. How many letters in Reagan? Six. Six, six, six. Obviously, Ronald Reagan was the Antichrist. You know, Warren Wiersbe who was one of our great Bible teachers, great man of faith. He used to say, depending on the method you choose and how hard you work at it, you can make anybody's name come out to 666. So if you got that person you don't like, just work on it a little bit and you can get their name to come out 666. What's very clear in these passages, though, is this. The mark is going to bring a high cost into the world. No matter which side of it you end up on, whether you receive it or you reject it, it's going to bring a high cost. This mark will be the place where everyone will have to make a choice. To whom are you going to be loyal? See, if you choose not to take the mark and be loyal to God, then Scripture says you're not going to be able to buy or to sell, not going to be able to carry out any kind of commerce, 
you're probably going to be beheaded. It's a high cost. But then it says, if you choose to take the mark, you're going to be covered in sores. You're going to endure God's wrath. And you're not going to find any joy or peace or satisfaction in life. It's going to be a high cost. The mark is going to bring a high cost. Whatever anyone does with the mark, it's going to cost them. So the issue is not really the mark. But again, it's who we're going to be loyal to. It's who they're going to worship. And so we need to be careful that we don't get too caught up in what the mark is. Understand what's behind it all. The bottom line is this. It's about who you worship. About what you're going to do with God. And while this is taking place out in the future, we need to understand that the same thing is true for us today. Who are we loyal to in our lives? What are we doing about God in our everyday life? You see, during this time here in Revelation, everything is going to be intensified. I mean, that's, that's the thing about the mark. The mark is a confirmation. And, you know, people talk about, you know, well, it could be a microchip. and it could, That's a guy that can, will tell you, I've got a great, you know, he'll say, I've got a great uh, proof of all it being, a, why it will be a microchip. You know, it will be something under your skin. Only problem is all of his scripture is based on a word that is not the word that's used in Revelation for Mark. You know, the word in Mark is a tattoo, a stamp, an etching. So it indicates, I think, that there's something on the outside. It's going to be something people can see. So immediately after this point in time, they're going to be able to walk up to you and look at you and know whether you have chosen to worship Satan or whether you have chosen to worship God. See, it's intensified. We, we can play with it nowadays, can't we? We can get dressed up and come to church on Sunday and everybody thinks, boy, that's a godly, nice person. That may be the farthest thing from what we are. We can play with it. There's going to come that point where it can't be hidden anymore. But for us, it's also going to come a time when it can't be hidden anymore. When we stand before God, cry out, Lord, Lord. And for some, he'll say, I never knew you. See, today it's clear that God has called us to endure and to be faithful to the end. See that in Revelation 13.10 as well as so many other places. But it's also true that Christ demands loyal allegiance. In Mark chapter 8, verse 38, Jesus says basically, if you act like you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. God wants his people to be loyal. Understand this. Every one of us listening to this message today has made a choice. Now, some of you hear that and immediately you'll go, oh, no, no, not everybody. Some are still trying to figure it out. Some are still thinking. So, 
I mean, maybe it's me. I'm still thinking. I'm still waiting. I haven't. Every one of us has made a choice this day. As you listen to this message, you have either chosen to be a follower of Jesus Christ, or at this point in time, you have not chosen to be a follower of Jesus Christ. That's a choice. You either are a follower of Jesus Christ or you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. And maybe you're not a follower of Jesus Christ because you are in rebellion to it. You don't want to believe it. You've rejected all of that. You've turned away from it. Or maybe you're on this side of not being a follower because you've never done anything about it. You've put it off. You've waited. You thought it's not that big a deal. I've got plenty of time. But you see, all of us listening are standing in one of these two camps. And so if the rapture were to take place, and and understand this, the rapture could take place today. The rapture could take place this moment. And if the rapture were to take place this moment, those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ will be caught up out of this world and avoid the tribulation. Those of you who have not made the decision to follow Christ will be left here to endure at least a portion of the tribulation. And if you were to die tonight as a follower of Jesus Christ, you'd go to heaven and spend eternity with him. If you were to die tonight and you have not become a follower of Jesus Christ, you will spend eternity forever separated him in torment, as the Scripture says. We have all made a choice. Now, the good news for us today, the good news for us right here, right now, is that we still have opportunity to choose. If you've not yet accepted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of your life, if you've not yet chosen to become a follower and had your uh, future secured in Him, you have the opportunity to do that today. See, the lesson in Revelation for us is about our loyalty, our allegiance, and our trust. God is concerned about your loyalty. And it's all about your choice. You've either chosen to follow him or you've not chosen to follow him, which means you have chosen not to. But again, you have the opportunity. Folks, it costs today to follow Christ. You know, sometimes we preachers, I think, are guilty of making it sound a little too easy to be a Christian. It's easy to become a Christian because we don't have to do anything. Jesus Christ has done it all. But following him is going to be difficult. Following him is going to cause you to have to pay some costs. What I have experienced in my own life and what I see when I read this book is the cost of following him is a whole lot better than the cost of not following him. 
So the choice is yours. Who do you choose this day? And who are you loyal to? Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you, Father, for the opportunity to hear your word. And Father, we thank you for the opportunity for your Holy Spirit to speak to us. And Father, if there are those listening today who have not yet chosen to follow Jesus Christ, my prayer, my plea is that they would today turn to you. Today, turn to Jesus. Today, turn to a Savior. And Father, if they're followers of Jesus Christ, but our day-to-day lives are not showing our loyalty, our day-to-day lives are not showing, Lord, that our decisions are for you. Father, may we change that through your power and through your presence. Father, whatever I need is today, would you speak to our hearts? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.